Welcome to Design Talk. This season's theme is Designing Organizations. We'll be talking with entrepreneurs and product owners about building teams, shaping organizations, working with partners, suppliers, and customers. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Andres. And I'm Anil. And we are very pleased to welcome Kevin Matthews from Coinbase. So first, Kevin, um, could you tell us a little about yourself and how you became to, to be a blockchain operations uh, program manager for Coinbase? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll try not to uh, to go on for too long. Um, so my my background previous to Coinbase, uh, I worked in investment banking for Citigroup for about seven and a half years. Um, I started that just straight after my undergrad and went into uh, Citigroup in early 2014. Um, but about two years into that, I did I started a, a master's in strategic management part time. And um, while I was doing that, um, funny story, my my dad actually gave me a book called Digital Gold by, um, I think he's a New York Times uh, journalist called Nathaniel Popper. And uh, it's the story about um, how Bitcoin was created and the culture behind it and the various uh, the various people that were involved. So I read that and my mind was blown. I was, I was like, this is going to change the world. Um, So since I read that, I was I was trying to, um, you know, I suppose that was a pastime, mesh that with my professional career. And so I I kept bringing it up in kind of town halls and um, and on the internal social network in Citigroup, uh, but they weren't inter interested. So um, I, I knew that then I had to get out of there and get into maybe a startup or fintech. Um, So um, yeah, since then I've been um, kind of, I suppose, researching, reading and writing um, a significant amount about uh, blockchain and the digital asset industry. Um, yeah, and here I am. And uh, how do you explain your experience in the blockchain uh, industry? Um, yeah, I think um, like it's, it's funny when you see job adverts, right, that are saying we want, you know, 15 years experience in blockchain, you know, when it's only been around since 2009. Um, it kind of shows there's a bit of naivety um, about the industry. And um, most people that are working in blockchain now have only been working in it, I suppose, professionally for a number of years, maybe maybe four years or five years maximum. Um, whereas for everybody else that is uh, working in the industry now that is crypto uh, native, it's been a pastime um, or kind of an interest. So for me, it's been an interest and a pastime since 2016. Um, I've worked on blockchain projects in Citigroup. Uh, so I'd say kind of professionally, I suppose, I'd be coming up on about four or four and a half years experience in the industry. So um, do you think is there a, a role for especially consultants and tech, tech consultancies with the... Yeah, I think uh, certainly. Um, I mean, I suppose standard consultants and specialists now, I mean, they, you know, their product is that uh, they can kind of um, approach a... Um, you know, a problem or kind of, um, you know, using their expertise, uh, I suppose, through maybe economies of scale, if an organization has a specific problem, they don't want to spend, you know, a lot of money putting their own resources into solving that when they can just hire an, an expert. So <clears throat> I believe that um, there's going to be significant space for um, consultants uh, and specialists in the blockchain and digital asset industry um, in future because there's so many problems that need to be resolved and, and established organizations are trying to get involved. 
Um, so I, I know myself, I've, I've set up my own uh, consultancy business in, in blockchain and digital assets. Um, and already, you know, I, I, there's already more work there than I actually have time for. Um, so, I mean, that's always a good sign. Uh, I think that uh, it's definitely going to be uh, a good industry, I think, for consultants in the future. Can you give us a sketch of various sectors that make up the ecosystem? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, um, I suppose, to kind of get, get an image of, like, the, the term Web3 was coined back in 2014 by, um, I think, it was the founder of um, Polkadot, which is um, a digital asset slash protocol. Um, so that's, I suppose, trying to encapsulate everything involved. Um, like, the, the, the ecosystem itself is pretty much made up of maybe four main parts, um, which is the protocol layer, which is, um, I suppose, you know, people would know that as Ethereum. Um, you know, that's, I suppose, like in the standard uh, world equivalent, that would be, I suppose, the code layer itself, sort of like the code layer itself. And um, then there's the infrastructure, like the infrastructure in standard uh, internet would be, let's say, DNS, um, you know, domain naming system. Uh, the Web3 equivalent is ENS, which is, I think it's Ethereum naming system, uh, but it's kind of like the equivalent. Uh, then there's the use case layer. Um, gaming is an example of that. Um, you know, we all know kind of Call of Duty and all, all standard games, whereas um, there's a P2E in the Web3 ecosystem, which is play to earn. It's certainly not perfect, uh, but there is kind of economy of actually playing games and earning, earning cryptocurrency and being able to use that. I mean, there's a significant um, amount of people in uh, third world countries where this is this is their life. They can earn way more money playing computer games than acting kind of uh, working the jobs that are available. Um, but that's that's ripe for uh, corruption and um, taking advantage of those people. So it's certainly not perfect. Perfect. Um, and then there's the access layer itself, right? So how do you get into this? And um, the access layer for Web three is. Um, your wallet, okay? So I'm not sure how familiar you, you are, but let's say um, the most widely used, I think, in the world is MetaMask. And that connects you into all of these um, various products, various, um, excuse me, various, um, um, I suppose, Web3 kind of programs, so to speak. That's the ecosystem. So um, is the approach taken for program management just the same as other in software-centric uh, sectors? Yeah, um, that that's an interesting question. Um, I kind of, um, let's say, to to give you some context, um, my own career, as I said, I worked for Citigroup for about seven and a half years, established organization for, I don't know, 100 years or something. So they have processes and ways of doing things that have been done a thousand times over. So everything's established. You follow a rule book, basically. Uh, but with 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 Coinbase now, Coinbase is still in startup mode, even though it's you know it's huge, it's it's publicly listed, and um, but everything is changing. I, I know it's a cliche to say everything changes every day, but everything actually changes every day. And um, so, I mean, it, it is quite similar to um, some of the other tech companies. Uh, my understanding, i.e., kind of Google, Amazon, a lot of people that have uh, product managers and program managers that are in Coinbase have come from there and are taking the best parts of their process uh, in order to be able to kind of, I suppose, build the ideal kind of program management, product management process for um, a cryptocurrency startup. Um, but but we, we say that now, it's still a developing, um, still a developing industry, a developing organization, and um, a de developing team as well. Um, 
I'm not sure if that's answered your question now, but uh, I think that's the best I can do. And uh, where do the new product ideas come from? Um, this is this is really interesting. Um, I, I think that um, the Web3 ecosystem is different to every other organization that all of the good ideas and the, the good innovations don't come from uh, organizations, but they come from uh, just pe people who, that it's their hobby. These guys, you know, they developed it out of a love of kind of innovation and technology. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, there's new innovations every day. Um, and kind of, I suppose, those products have, have, have developed out of a sense of community, a sense of kind of distributed ownership and um, just kind of like, right, let's push the boundaries here. Whereas, let's say, in my organization for Coinbase, um, new product ideas uh, come from, you know, getting inspiration from that distributed um, thought process of all of those people that want to push the boundaries. But there's also kind of, let's say, programs for that. Um, there's um, a Project 10%, which I know is done in or other organizations, um, where anyone in the organization, doesn't matter what level you are, what job you are, if you've got a good idea, if you um, write that down, kind of like give a rough idea estimate of the numbers and get get a, couple, a bit of support of, um, let's say if it's a, if it's a new product um, that needs um, uh, software engineers, if you get some support from software engineers, uh, you can pitch that to a board that um, my understanding, it's kind of some people from the executives, some people from management and some other kind of specialists. Um, but um, as far, I, I believe now, one one product now that's going to be released in the next few weeks um, might be the, our company's biggest product. It's certainly the biggest product that's ever been worked on in our company. And that would, came from a project 10% from somebody pitching it. So, you know, it just shows that um, everybody's um, thoughts are appreciated and um, uh, kind of the innovation is uh, is natural, so to speak. Um, so what new organizational forms uh, do you envisage based on DEOs? Yeah, um, it's a good question. Um, I think that um, um, DAO, I suppose, um, stands for, I suppose, a distributed autonomous organization. Um, so in, in my opinion, I mean, it's an innovation, okay? It's like almost like a pure innovation where... Um, you know, uh, a group of individuals come together to accomplish a certain task or tasks, and they're incentivized by the possibility, um, or the how like they're incentivized by um, a distributed token most of the time, and um, that may or may not have value, I suppose, depending on the success of the idea. And um, so. It's it's kind of like a pure form of um, you know you you're you're motivated I suppose both intrinsically and extrinsically and I say intrinsically by you know you joined us because you want to get this over the line for your own I don't know sense of personal self satisfaction uh, extrinsic um, is the potential for monetary rewards at the end of it and it's and it's really fifty fifty or even probably less you know, 90, 10, where you will, you won't get paid or you will get paid. Um, but I suppose the, 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 the kind of concept itself, um, it lends itself to an entirely new way of working um, where, you know, I could work with somebody in, you know, the far, far east, um, somewhere like, I don't know, Japan or Philippines that I, I have never met. I will never meet. I don't even know their name. 
whereas we can we can kind of um i suppose use our expertise to to solve a problem now where i can see new organizational forms is that it, it has the potential to unlock uh skills that are not being utilized in organizations so <clears throat> i'll give like for an example now this um you know, it could be somebody uh, like, let's say, if, if I was working in Citigroup, and um, if I, you know, I was I was a relationship manager, but I I could also I'm also a good painter. I'm not a good painter now, but I'm just taking this as an example. And um, obviously, I'm not going to use that kind of painting uh, in my job, right? So that's going to be an un, an underutilized or never utilized skill. Whereas distributed and um, a DAO, um, if it were to exists in like that organizational format and um, if somebody else in the organization who's an entirely different place who want to design um kind of like a new logo or something like that they never think to talk to a relationship manager but in a DAO, um you know you can you can kind of unlock those skills and be able to use them in something that wouldn't be your day job so you know there's there's significant possibilities from that that people will have um multifaceted jobs you know not just a specialization but be able to use their their skills for something like that now how we get there i think i need to think about that i'd probably take another couple of years but uh there's a possibility there thanks for that and relating to that uh, finance and banking have evolved over time rather being designed for the purpose of like the industry structures that we have how can they coexist with the distributed finance distributed ledgers yeah um i think there's there's a couple of ways or a couple of uh, schools of thought on this um some people think that um financial institutions um because they've been established for so long they're huge they're behemoths they're antiquated their processes are antiquated that it's it's the end for them you know they're going to um I can't remember who that. I don't know if it was a theory of innovation, um, but uh, you know, you get to a certain level and that's it. You know, you can't really innovate because your organizational structure doesn't allow for innovation. It's uh, it's like the um, uh, the the risk in innovation. It will not be accepted uh, by the the owners of the organization, i.e., the shareholders. Right. So th there's that school of thought, but there's also the school of thought that. Um, um new kind of innovative processes from blockchain and, um, and and digital assets distributed ledgers can be retrofitted into existing processes and um, one of the things I, I i wrote my dissertation on back in 2018 um was the um the uh custody of assets industry and look it's really boring so i'm not, <laughs> not going to go into it but um what um basically at a very high level Custody of assets is, right, um, you've got a company, they issue shares, right, to shareholders. But you don't hold the shares in your pocket. You hold them in a, in a custodian. Um, but because of the global uh, way of doing business, other people in different countries can hold those shares. You can list your, your, your company on several different exchanges worldwide. Um, so this uh, has resulted in a layered problem, okay? You've got the company, you've got the agency that helps them issue the shares, You've got um, uh, what they call clearing houses in different countries, uh, being able to clear transactions. You've got a custodian that technically holds the shares. Then you have sub-custodians that are specialized custodians in certain countries, okay? That list could be endless of those, chain, th those links in the chain. And that allows um, 
each link of that chain has risk involved. And um, there could be regulations in one country that don't adhere to regulations in another country, which could mean those shares actually get lost in the ether. So the actual shareholder doesn't hold the value of those shares. So one innovation is um, a unified ledger that is is both own, is both not owned by all those parties and owned by all those parties that can effectively be the single source of truth to allow that um, shareholder to have kind of confidence that the shares aren't going to disappear. And so that's an that's something that can be retro retrofitted in. Now there's you know I'm sure there's a myriad of problems around actually doing that, um, but kind of I suppose that's kind of a concept that can that can help. So, um, where do you see this sector in the next five years? Yeah, um, I I see I, I see it significantly different. Um, with the craze at the moment is NFTs. Um, I I I believe probably 95% or 99% of all of those NFTs are going to be gone. It's, it's a, it is a craze. Um, now, the technology itself, ha in my opinion, will, will, will exist in the future and might be a bit more boring. And it could help kind of identification um, or kind of uh, certification, things like that. But it will exist. Uh, I have absolutely no doubt about that. And... Um, I do think that um, the concepts behind DeFi, which is decentralized finance, I think is going to be more more prevalent in in society in the future. Um, a lot of a lot of financial products that are offered by banks are broken, in my opinion. I mean, you can see with mortgages. I mean, it's it's impossible to get a mortgage. The rates are crazy high compared to the rest of the world. It's a it's basically a monopoly by a certain set of retail banks, right? So there's There's no kind of competition allowance there. I'm of the opinion that um, uh, the, the, the innovation and potential that DeFi can provide is going to flip that on its head um, and allow a lot more people to be able to get um, mortgages, to get loans. Um, but the kind of, I suppose, the, uh, I suppose, paying them back and the risk calculation is going to be done in a different way. I don't necessarily think it'll be worse. Um, I think it'll just be a different way of doing things. So I think kind of keep an eye on DeFi in the future. And how do you see regulators work out in the next five years? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've done a lot of work on um, on kind of uh, contributing to, uh, you know, a kind of call for information for regula regulators. And I think the regulators um, need to start, first of all, start hiring uh, experts and specialists in kind of uh, blockchain and digital assets. Um, but I, I, I don't think, uh, like it's, it's, it's easy to track transactions um, using uh, cryptocurrencies, right? Um, I mean, it's easier to do that than track cash transactions. So like um, once kind of like the regulators uh, come up to speed in that, um, then, uh, I don't think there's going to be um, a kind of a significant problem for them, in my in my opinion. Now, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but we'll, we'll see. There's a, gr a really good podcast. Um, David McWilliams talks to Michael Saylor, who's kind of one of the original kind of Bitcoin proponents. Um, you should check out. I think it was a, it was a, f a couple of months ago on his on his weekly podcast. But he talks about how um, Bitcoin's not a currency and it should not be considered a currency. It's um, the equivalent of gold so it's a store of wealth so you're not you're not going to go into a shop and offer someone gold to buy like uh, a chocolate bar it, same with bitcoin and I, i i do believe that um 
there like there will be um uh central bank uh digital currencies in the future um I, I still think there's so many unanswered questions, but I, I do think that digital currencies will be um, driven by the uh, uh, economics of, of uh, decentralized uh, protocols. So currently, it's not set up to, to act as a currency. I, I said there earlier on that um, it's a craze at the moment. NFTs are a craze and uh, only kind of the really seasoned people uh, Kind of understand, uh, you know, what what to go for and what not to go for. I, I actually asked this question at a, a at a kind of company forum, and um, you know, what makes a good NFT? And um, a few people had answers like, "Oh, the art," you know, but you know, that's all nonsense. You know, basically, the the, the guy who's like the the king of NFTs and Coinbase was like, "It's one hundred percent marketing." You know, it's how it's marketed, who they get involved, because that, like, you know. There's, like, as I said, 99% of NFTs are going to be gone in the future. There's going to be a few of them that are going to be considered art, you know, but like a lot of them, uh, like, I'm not going to hang a picture of a, of a, a pixelated, like, like cat in, in my, in my kitchen, you know? We'll see the true benefits of decentralized protocols when they become boring. You know, when people kind of start to forget about them, let's say certification, I think is one. One one example that's easy to get your head around of um, I know there's there's or there's universities and organizations that are offering um uh you know their their equivalent of your degree on uh, as an NFT in the blockchain um uh, so like potentially a, um, an employer in, can just verify it like that you know rather than kind of spending ages kind of or uh, calling up universities and, and, and things like that and that's something easy to get get your head around of that's a real use case and um, very boring uh, <laughs> yeah I think that that's that's gonna be as I said a lot of use cases are going to be born in the future uh, with that uh, thanks thanks Kevin uh, we will wrap up for the day oh, any last suggestions for us? Um, yeah, uh, I think that um, yeah, never invest more money than you're willing to lose in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Amelia. Thanks, okay. guys. Thank you. Uh, thank, thanks, Gavin. Thank you for listening to Design Talk. The music used is Check Them In by Emma Grace. Credits and links in the show notes.